This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rashan Senanayak. What's up, listeners? Welcome to a brand new episode of Inspiring Design, and I'm your host, Rashan Sananayaka. Today's episode is unique, and unlike my normal episodes, my special guest is actually joining me from the other side of the world, all the way from Chile. He's actually the founder and CEO of ArcDaily, David Basilto. David's a graduate architect from the Catolica University in Chile, founder and editor-in-chief of ArcDaily, a global website which is in English, Spanish, Portuguese, and Chinese. I know that I'm a personal and a massive fan of ArcDaily, and all my students and teachers all the time use it. We use it as a resource. We use it as an inspiration hub. So it's one of the biggest tools that's going around in the field of architecture. David has also served as a jury for several awards, prizes and design competitions in Latin America, North America, Europe, and Asia. He was the curator of the Nordic Countries Pavilion at the 2016 Venice Architecture Banal. We're going to deep dive into architecture and art daily today, so without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you, Rashan, and as you say, uh, very happy to connect from the other side of the world. That's right, that's right. Um, I love technology, and it's uh, it's obviously allowing us to connect, and um, I'm, I'm definitely excited to kick things off and get into knowing more about architecture and art daily. I'm well, glad that we have this opportunity, and uh, as you say, the internet is giving us this uh, unique opportunity. I'm so grateful to have been born uh, during this age in which we, we can have access to anybody one click away. That's which right. Has been fundamental for the existence of our daily. That's right. That's right. And I know the listeners are going to have a fun time listening to both of us because you have you have quite a strong accent. So do I. And it's going to be a good a lot of fun for them. <laughs> more global. <laughs> anyway, uh, can we start off with a little bit of background on yourself? What's your story, your history? How has it um, led you to found ArcDaily? And uh, just so people understand what the, what your journey has been like. Sure. Well, I am lucky to be from a, a, from a medium-sized town in Chile called Rancagua. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, at the age of eight, I was lucky enough that my father, a doctor, bought a computer for his office, which he never used, mm-hmm. and ended up in my house, which I, I took on my own and started to, to learn from it. Mm-hmm. Eventually, that led me to learn about a lot about computers, about uh, coding, but also to discover this thing that was the internet. Mm-hmm. I mean, from a medium to small town that generate a lot of curiosity and the internet was always a source uh, to learn about the world for me. Yeah. Later, I had the opportunity to study architecture, a profession that I didn't knew much about. Uh, initially, I wanted to study <laughs> medicine as my father, mm-hmm. uh, but ended up into this career that I thought was um, a lot about design, mathematics, 
but I was very surprised to learn about the impact that it could have on the life of so many people, mm-hmm. how it, through abstraction and to design thinking, it could enable you to solve uh, problems. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I was always in parallel developing my uh, relationship with computers, with the internet, um, until uh, one day when, when I was in the last years of my career and I met uh, David Asile, who is the, my partner and the other Agilelico founder, mm-hmm. who approached me and told me this crazy idea that he believed that through information, the quality of life in cities could be improved. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he told me about this, I told him, oh, I think you're right. And maybe we could do it this way. And I started to show him on the computer. And since that day, we start with the early platform in Spanish that eventually became our daily. Mm-hmm. But always thinking on how the availability of information could help architects to do a better job and therefore to have better cities. Definitely, definitely. And look, and, and having gone through architectural studies here in, here in Brisbane, I have used ArcDaily so much that I think even even from a personal point of view, I've, I've got a lot of gratitude towards um, you know your efforts of actually bringing that website together. There's almost every single designer that I know uses ArcDaily as a as a go to to learn about projects or see what's out there, learn the latest trends and what are the latest projects. And so it's actually you've done it. You've created something amazing, man! Like congratulations. Thank you. And every time that we receive this kind of feedback, we say, we do this for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the world of architecture in which you are doing things for others to inhabit, for others to use. Uh, so we feel like very responsible in that aspect. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So let's kick things off um, and, and talk about ArcDaily. And I'm sure I have a, lot of, a lot of my listeners actually want to know what the founders thinking behind the actual platform is. So if you had to describe what ArcDaily's main purpose is, what would that be? Well, first we believe uh, into the availability of information, that information should be free, should be democratic, and should be produced in a distributed way. Mm-hmm. Uh, our uh, What we were seeing at the beginning it was that for us, the best place of the university was the library. Mm-hmm. Because you will have access to knowledge, projects, uh, knowledge, but then you immediately saw that there was a, a big limitation that had to do with uh, the physical format. Uh, is things that are heavy, that uh, have a limited size, um, that are hard to move from A to B, mm-hmm. and especially from the centers of architectural production down to Chile. Yeah. Here, to have a subscription for a good magazine was $200, $300, which was prohibitive. Mm-hmm. But things are obvious that the internet was going to change them in relation to distribution, free access. But the most important for us was that all the traditional architecture magazines were being produced in the centers. Mm-hmm. So they will have, a, let's say, a limited view of the world and their view will be transmitted from the centers to the periphery, mm-hmm. almost in a colonial way. 
they so it will always be related to the networks that they had access to. So that is where we saw the biggest potential mm-hmm. to break this within a distribute distribute way. Um, we started to do it uh, with a lot of passion and, and energy. Now I tell you the pretty story, very structured. Yeah. But at the beginning, it was just to publish projects in a very thorough way. We were very obsessive in the way that we will collect information mm-hmm. and we will translate that on the site that grew very fast because the architects that we will publish will share with their colleagues, uh, look, my project was published by these guys in Chile. Mm-hmm. It is... Uh, with very big detail so the architects that will come to the site will find like a free magazine with a lot of projects very deep um, but most important and this came from from our location that is something in, important to talk about is that we were presenting projects that um, were coming from our context they were coming from chile from peru from argentina mm-hmm. who perhaps didn't have the distribution to to the northern hemisphere. Yeah. So for us, it was strange to see that uh, as our traffic grew, that many visitors were coming from the US or from Europe. Yeah. Um, and I will say that there were some signals that gave us a, a direction and a sense of what was happening. So there was this initial initial word of mouth that for us was very powerful and we try to maintain it until today. Mm-hmm. It's our principal uh, market tool, mm-hmm. marketing tool. Um, but then we started to see that many of these architects that were featuring will come back with success stories. Mm-hmm. They were telling us, hey, I published my project. I was contacted by magazines in Italy, in Japan, in China, in the US. And for us, it was very strange because these countries do not speak Spanish. Yeah. Until that, we had a, a website that was called Plataforma Arquitectura, Architectural Platform. And by hearing these uh, success stories, we started to wonder, why do these people who do not speak Spanish uh, start to use our website? Why mm-hmm. are they extracting information from us? And then this was very revealing because when you are in the southern hemisphere into what we call the global south, uh, in non-English speaking countries, mm-hmm. you always find yourself looking for uh, information in the big libraries on the internet uh, in English. So mm-hmm. you have to learn how to read English, how to translate. Um, usually if you are in an English-speaking country, uh, you consume a lot of content already in that language. Yeah. So then said, why is this happening? Why they are making the same effort that we're used to do? And then we understood that the table was flipping and what we were creating was of so interest that they will do this process of translation. Yeah. Uh, another important signal was... Um, a testimonial um, because we are always doing interviews with architects. We talk about architecture. It's a good way to learn more about uh, different types of practices. But one day, um, a couple of architects from Ecuador mm-hmm. told us that the platform had had a big impact on their career because they have been doing very interesting projects, um, local labor, local materials, very low impact, mm-hmm. with a very strong identity. 
but the traditional edit editorials uh, were not interested on their projects. Yeah. And it, because they didn't have striking images, but the projects had an intrinsic architectural value. Mm -hmm. And then we understood that these projects did very well in our platform because we were transferring knowledge, we were transferring techniques, and that is what architects uh, care a lot about. Mm -hmm. But for the editorials, it didn't fit into their model because they were selling paper, they were selling covers, and if you didn't have striking images, it wouldn't fit. Yeah. So then when this, we were more than a media, we were a platform, and um, because of our format, we had all this potential. Mm -hmm. So with one and, one and two together, the fact that many people from, the, from North America, from Australia, from Western Europe, were using our website. And then we started to look what was happening in their context. Yeah. And by then, uh, all editorials were used publishers. They were using the internet to sell subscriptions. So they will only publish snippets of information. They will never give away all their content because it was about selling paper. Yeah. So that is why we saw the opportunity and we said, let's turn Plataforma into Arts Daily. Let's do it in English and let's go global. Yeah. Uh, let's focus on the intrinsic value of architecture uh, and let's uh, take advantage of this worldwide network that we have built and let's connect architects. Yeah. And, uh, and by that time, we start ArtDaily.com in March 2008, 2008 mm -hmm. and our daily to grow exponentially. In very um, quickly, well, in, in less than two years, it became the most traffic website for architects. Yeah. And it's generating more traffic than uh, websites from big publishers, you know, from companies spent with uh, large staff, mm -hmm. investing a lot of money. Uh, and we were only at that time three or four people working from Santiago. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a very exciting moment but that also show us the power of architecture and how interesting it would be for people from, from different countries to see what was the, being done at the other side of the world. Yeah. We started to see how architecture in Chile, in Indonesia, in Vietnam started to, be, to become a reference for people into the developed world. Yeah. Uh, I'm always surprised by... Um, by a very renowned architect who's a fellow of the American Institute of Architects. I mean, somebody who has built a, a very strong career who one day told to me, uh, sent an email to our daily saying, uh, David, I never thought that the architecture for, from Vietnam would um, open my mind so much. It is incredible what is happening in there. Mm -hmm. And then we saw before there was no chance for this architecture coming from all these different contexts uh, to connect, to cross-pollinate um, as the internet has allowed us to do today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, perfect, mate. That's that's actually an amazing story and um, I think I love every, every little bit of it. And something that I wanted to ask you was, when was ArcDaily actually founded? Was it 2008 or was the actual founding date um, date back before that? Yes, we, we start with this project uh, with ABA in, uh, in 2006, right. and in 2008 we started in, in English, in I a see. way what we call our worldwide 
moment. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's brilliant, mate. That's brilliant. And then obviously it's it's become a massive educational platform, and you've now been able to see the industry of architecture through a very unique lens and understanding it from a global point of view. In your expert opinion, what do you think are the next biggest trends in architecture looking at from a global context? Well, I I think um, it's a very interesting uh, duality. Mm -hmm. For one side, I think that the biggest innovations in architecture are coming from um, emerging economies, Mm -hmm. from context, have a lot of limitations and therefore foster innovation. Um, I think that today, Indonesia, Vietnam, Iran, Paraguay Mm -hmm. are doing very interesting things with raw materials, with bamboo, with brick, with stone. Mm-hmm. And it is because it has been perhaps uh, less inf- influenced by the globalization of architecture and because they have to do more with less. And that drives a certain way of thinking and of doing that is very honest. Mm-hmm. And at the end, it is related almost like the form follows function. Uh, this honesty is following the logic of the materials and the real needs of the buildings. And that is happening from one side, and I think it's really causing a, a positive impact. Mm-hmm. But in the other, we have the um, fast digitalization of the construction industry. Mm-hmm. Um, our industry has been very offline. Yeah, uh, It has slow to digitalize, unlike healthcare, fi- financial, tech, uh, retail. Um, but now it is the moment. Um, it has been slow because, of course, it's not just uh, bits, it is a lot of atoms, mm-hmm. but uh, the state of technology is there. Uh, we're seeing uh, drones and robots entering into the construction site and into construction itself. Yeah. We're seeing data-driven startups improving construction uh, or even dealing with the urban scale. Mm-hmm. We're seeing how uh, material, new materials are being produced and they are much more dynamic. Uh, they are also much more uh, friendly towards environment. And we're seeing a new breed of architects who are embracing data and technology to deliver uh, better projects. Yeah. So this, we're seeing that it's accelerating and it's also opening. It's not just architects, but everybody, anybody who has the interest is entering into this and it's fastly accelerating. Yeah. So uh, I think that uh, these are the strong trends. From one side, this... Uh, innovation led by scarcity mm-hmm. and the fast digitalization yeah yeah no that's actually brilliant and I, I can see that happening even at a f- uh, foundational level at a secondary and tertiary education institute where technologies such as vr and ar and even artificial intelligence is joining forces with the raw materials and the scarcity of um, of natural resources and uh, it's actually in a really amazing position i'd say and and the way things are headed it's allowing architects as creative thinkers to do some incredible work and 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 actually innovate so that's a breath of fresh air for to hear it from an expert such as yourself as well how do you see the technology such as vr and ar and even artificial intelligence coming into play in our in the field of architecture 
Well, this is a, a technology that has also been slow to adapt. Uh, virtual reality has been a, a prophecy, a utopia or dystopia since the 80s, mm -hmm. but now it's finally picking up. And you will think this is obvious that architecture will benefit from it, that architects will push it. Uh, but it has been, I think, first the world of gaming, entertainment, mm -hmm. uh, that took the, the lead. Um, it has been, I think, slow to enter into the creative process. It has been mostly used for visualization, the real estate. But I think that we are about to see its real uh, potential for architecture. Yeah. I think just now the technology is there and the availability, because at the end you need a, and that the entry cost will be lower, so more people can start to experiment with it. Yeah. I think it's in the full potential, but it is obvious that it will have an impact uh, in our industry. Yeah. First, in relation to simulation, when you can simulate things in a digital way, you can predict a much better outcome. Um, and uh, we will have the need to have a digital twin of Earth. Everything that is built should be available in a digital way, mm -hmm. not only for a simulation, but also in relation to the life cycle of the building. Yeah. Uh, how these uh, digital assets will become the norm and how we interact with them through augmented reality, I think will bring a, a different layer that uh, we will really need to explore as architects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. And and I think that's why it's becoming, it's broadening the skill set that an architecture architect actually needed, let's say, five, ten years ago compared to what the students coming through now and them being able to practice in the next five to ten years. The skill sets have actually grown a lot because of this technology as well. And um, But there's some really exciting scope within that and and like you said the architects can actually have the chance to push the boundary constantly innovate and actually communicate and simulate so it's a pretty cool time <laughs> yeah and, and also i think it's inter interesting to see it as a layer because okay you will say on on the built environment you have many layers one is the building mm -hmm. then you have you will say the social layer how do we inhabit spaces how do we behave how do we relate to each other as citizens on the public realm? Then you will say comes this uh, digital layer on top of it. Yeah. Uh, but also I will say there is an in-between that is how we are dealing um, with the life cycle of buildings or with their use. And it is the Ubers, it is the WeWorks, and are all these uh, companies who are adding a layer that through technology allows us to interact with the infrastructure yeah. or with the built environment in ways we that we could not do before. Yeah. So it is not just reality, but for me, WeWork, Airbnb, Uber are uh, layers of the built environment that allows us to operate on top of it and do things in a scalable way and even to challenge the questions of belonging, of uh, property, or uh, do I need to, can I be a digital nomad, can I live anywhere? 
So it's very interesting to see that's uh, different layers and how technology enables us to to relate to both. That's right. That's right. And I think it allows us to, from a logistical point of view as well, with building information modeling, but at the same time, that social conscience of thinking about the end user and actually creating space that has an impact on the actual user and the community at large. I think that's where the that digital layer allows us to push the boundaries and, and uh, do some amazing work. So that's pretty cool. Do you see this trend continuing to grow exponentially from a global context? Yeah, no, this is, a, and, and as you say, it is exponential. I think that we just opened the door and uh, it is very interesting to see the how architects will engage into this beyond the built environment. Yeah. Uh, in all these companies that I mentioned, I have seen that there are many architects working. Mm-hmm. Um, in the world of technology today, design is being highly valued. Uh, Apple, the world's most valuable company, you can say it's a design company. Mm-hmm. Designs hardware, designs interfaces, designs experiences. And uh, everybody is trying to incorporate design. Yeah. We as architects, we are trained into what is called design thinking. And we have the we develop very interesting skills for this new world. The studio methodology allows you to tackle problems uh, through abstraction. If push puts you in the position to have to collaborate to develop a teamwork methodologies, and all these cannot only be applied to the building or to the city. It can be applied uh, into these other layers. And I am very happy to see something that is called Architecti. In the U.S., uh, one day in San Francisco, a friend told me, you have to go to this meetup. Mm -hmm. And I went to the building of a startup in uh, the Soma district in San Francisco into a meetup of Architecti. There was around 80 people. Mm -hmm. They were all introducing themselves like, hey, I'm... John Doe, I study architecture and now I work at Facebook, Pinterest, Autodesk, yeah. and many other companies. Yeah. It was very interesting to see how they were applying their architectural training into this, uh, let's say, different industry. Yeah. But that made a lot of sense from because of the skills that I, I described before. Um, this is like a movement. Uh, they exist on Facebook, on also on architecti.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see news. They do meetups in New York, San Francisco. But I think that this is already happening for sure in other countries. And there is this big architecture community that is having, uh, that is developing their career outside of the traditional field. Yeah. And it's just growing and growing. Yeah, definitely. And I think this is actually something that I've been speaking to my students as well who 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 are stu- studying architecture but feel limited that um, having gone through that personal differences and the development myself of um, using those skill sets and the problem-solving thinking and mindset, the design thinking approach to work and problem-solve in a completely different industry. And it's it's actually quite powerful, and I think architecture allows us to grant ourselves that knowledge and and that mindset to be able to work in almost any any industry, in my opinion. 
for me this uh, it's interesting to look at uh, from this year when the Bauhaus turns 100 years old mm -hmm. and the Bauhaus is also a moment where architects well um, designers photographers uh, expanded group of uh, creatives they saw that the world was changing mm -hmm. that the industrial production could really enter into our lives mass production the rationalization of processes mm -hmm. and they wanted to to design everything from the spoon to the city and influence how people will live yeah. uh, and, and they were able to push all this new thinking uh, in the after war time where there was this uh, need to rethink ourselves after after what was a big uh, catastrophe that mm -hmm. was the two to the two world wars yeah and a uh, hundred years after we're seeing also this architect in the expanded sense trying to have an impact into the environment we're much more conscious about sustainability the impact of buildings and uh, in front of what is today uh, also a time of crisis. Yeah. During these days, discussion about the environment is reaching a peak and uh, we're understanding that it's, uh, it's an urgent problem. That's right. So I think that now through, the, um, through this multidisciplinary or expanded approach should really step up and uh, influence uh, a, a catastrophe in where the built uh, the construction industry plays a big role in relation to emissions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Wise words, mate. And um, if we may go off on a bit of a tangent and and bring it back to Arc Daily, because I think in this technology era and the way things are moving towards Industry 4.0, Arc Daily, I have a feeling, is going to play a big role in that, and especially in molding the next generation of, of designers and uh, future leaders. What, um, in terms of looking at the future of Arc Daily, what are, what are its applications and ideas and, and plans for the education uh, sector from, through the lens of Arc Daily? Well, today this is very important because we start, let's say, as a, a media, we're using a blogging platform, mm -hmm. but we evolve into being a resource, being a tool, uh, being a more data-driven company. Mm -hmm. We incorporate um, the, all the knowledge about how to build the technical aspects. We brought online um, a materials, products, construction products catalog, and we started to connect the um, manufacturing, construction products world with the architects who need this knowledge. Mm -hmm. Uh, but how do we continue to advance uh, in this uh, construction 4.0 world we know that all processes will be digital mm -hmm. project delete project tendering uh, product sourcing uh, procurement specification That's we right. connect everybody across the construction industry so all these assets need to be digitalized yeah. We have digitalized, uh, but we will continue to evolve to incorporate more. Mm -hmm. We are uh, opening our product library to BIM, and we want to enter much more into the workflow of the architects 
and to serve as an effective uh, channel between the manufacturers who are also digitalizing and through our platform for manufacturers, give them more tools to help architects to achieve their projects in a much uh, better uh, and streamlined way. Wow. <clears throat> wow, that's actually some incredible work work happening there. And uh, when do you see that coming into play? Is that the next couple of years or five to ten years? Well, we are already working on that, giving the first steps in relation to bring in a much more availability of materials, products, manufacturers online, uh, helping them put, uh, to put their resources in the form of beam available to architects. But uh, this is something that we are just uh, accelerating and we believe that it won't, well, the building blocks, the foundation is what we have in our roadmap for the next two years. Mm-hmm. But uh, to fully digitalize this industry, it is very hard to uh, to say if it will take five years, mm-hmm. but it's uh, more than a question uh, when it will happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a question. It's not if it's if it's going to happen or not, but rather when. Yeah. Uh, I think that it is very challenging because our industry is slow. Um, it is highly concentrated, very old companies who still do not have the incentive to be faster. Mm-hmm. But now with the digitalization, making everything more competitive, and especially that is opening the door for uh, new players to come in, especially coming from Asia, mm-hmm. I think that it will accelerate uh, the race. Perfect, perfect. That sounds exciting times ahead, mate. And um, in your thoughts, do you think that ArcDaily will ever go fully VR in terms of people being able to experience projects from around the world on the other side of the globe from countries from all over the world but then being able to experience that and see that those spaces in vr do you think that'll ever happen <laughs> well you you mentioned a key word the experience yep um, and i want to start that with um i will say what is the key of our day mm-hmm. our daily on a journey we present you to our stream buildings from all over the world uh, and rather to force a structure entry into browse for projects, our stream just takes you into this journey. You just uh, lay back and uh, expect, wait for us to publish new projects from uh, almost every 45 minutes mm-hmm. and take you into this beautiful journey of discovery. Yeah. Uh, that is intrinsic to the um, creative process of the architect, a process that is fueled by seeing the known, the new, the fresh. And this is what what takes us as architects to to travel, to visit buildings, uh, probably you and your audience. Uh, and me, we do not take decisions of vacation uh, based on how beautiful a beach could be, mm-hmm. but rather on how many buildings we can see. Yeah. Uh, because the experience of the building uh, still cannot be transmitted online. Our daily can be very good at showing you many photos, uh, maybe even uh, 3D, um, 360 photos, mm-hmm. all the drawings, all the details, the architect explaining you the project, but it's still not possible to transmit the experience of entering into a beautiful space and through its head. Uh, the combination of um, light and air yep. to be amazed. There you go. Uh, 
reality or virtual reality is still not there. So we still rely on traveling. But I do think that that will happen eventually. Yeah. And almost it's a dystopian future that the Matrix uh, anticipate to us. We will be immersed into virtual environments which will eventually become hard to distinguish between what is real and what is not. Yeah. So until then, our daily has a lot of uh, time to continue <laughs> pushing this. Definitely, mate. Definitely. And look, that you guys have done an incredible job so far anyway. So I'm looking forward to how Arc Daily evolves as well. And um, for all the guys listening, obviously, you've you've heard about Arc Daily. But if you haven't, jump online, check it out. There's actually going to be a link in the show notes. Just scroll down to the bottom of this website page as well. You'll be able to check that out. David, I've got a lot of... Um, teachers, educators, and students listening in on this podcast, do you have any wise advice that you can pass on to the next generation of future architects? Well, I, I think it is very important to understand um, which is the value of architectural education. The things that we were talking about the, um, to develop the capacity of abstraction, of teamwork, of um, being oriented to solve problems really to, to embrace that. Mm-hmm. It is not about just doing buildings or uh, following a rigorous process to solve something only to, to erect a structure mm-hmm. or uh, what could be, well, everybody's dream at some point to have that building designed by you. Yeah. But rather focus on, what, uh, on how these skills can enable you to solve problems, perhaps not in that obvious built way, and this will enable you to enter into this rapidly changing economy uh, armed with those skills and being able to quickly adapt and um, not to become obsolete. I think that architecture has that uh, sometimes that danger that as many professions that are very structured uh, could eventually or, or to specialize could be in the danger of disappear. I am very hopeful that thanks to these skills where we can be on the lead of um, waving through this change. And, and I, I would recommend to not only to students, but also to teachers mm-hmm. to understand how the studio methodology can help you prepare uh, this generation and not just focusing on the building itself. Perfect, mate. Wisely said and beautiful words. You guys have heard it here first. Take it from David Basilto, one of the biggest arc, um, experts in architecture and the founder and CEO of Arc Daily. So that's it for today, folks. And before we leave, if you could jump online, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it'll be incredible. And every at the end of every episode, I will be reading out your message and sharing the love. And you can have your name and message reach listeners from over 14 different countries. So jump online. It's rashansananaika.com slash podcast. And until next time, we'll see you. Keep inspiring. Thanks so much. Thank you, Rashan, for giving me the opportunity to deliver our, our message through your uh, tremendous channel. Thank you, mate. Cheers.